again, the Shiran Parsha Shmini, also the, the yard site of Rabbi Melech of Luzhensk. Okay, which uh, again, Artie from way back in Europe was a yard site that was celebrated in so many places because he was such an influential Rebbe. They called him the Rebbe of Rebbe's, right? That from him, so many of the branches of Hasidus uh, spread out. And uh, we'll see a little bit about his connection to Am Yisrael, Am Yisrael's connection to him as we go on and little, learn a little bit of his Torah from Parsha Shmini and elsewhere. But first, we always start with the Shemi Shmuel. So, um, one second, just open up the Noam Elimelech so it's all ready to go. In this week's Parsha, Parsha Shmini, we find the real activation of the Mishkan. Okay, that Vishachanti Vitochem, that idea of the Shechina coming down, dwelling among Am Yisrael. This happened on the Yom HaShmini L'Miluim, when Aaron and his sons were trained in to the Kahuna. And then, this is what happened. So let's take a look. There was a whole process to it. There were special korbanos, and there were special tefillahs, and special brachos. Now, we have a hard time with korbanos, as I mentioned, in general, because we end up interspersing, you know, it says, for this korban you bring an ox, for this one you bring a sheep, for this one you bring something two years old, three years old, birds, flower, wine, we don't know, but each thing is particularly designed for a purpose. The Kuzri actually brings us of an example of the idea that Torah's mina shemayim, it's beyond this world. He said, perhaps the concept of some kind of sacrifice a human being can come up with. But the intricate details that are in our world of Avodah and the Beis Hamikdash, you see the Seder Kodshim, which is there in the Shas and the Rambam and all these things. It's an entire field, like it has its own physics, its own things that can only be revealed Minashamayim. So among the Karbonas that we have was a Sa'ir, okay, was a goat. All right. Now, the Sira Chatos that was brought was brought for atonement, what did it represent? So in the Torah's Kahanim, the Medrash on Vayikra, it says, Lechaper al-chet mechiras Yosef. This came to atone for the sin of selling Yosef, when the brothers sold Yosef. Because if you remember back, they took his coat and they dipped it in the blood of a goat and they presented it to Yaakov and said, Toraf, Toraf, Yosef, Yosef has been killed. So here, we're about to get the Mishkan going. They bring a korban to atone for the chait of selling Yosef. Why? That's the first question the Shemesh will ask. It's like, you would like to think that you get to move on in life. That was a long time ago. And in fact, it was a really big sin that they're working on atoning for just beforehand. The Mishkan came, Chazal say, the Zahav HaMishkan, Yavo Zahava Mishkan, let the gold that was included in the Mishkan come. Vichaper al Zahava Egel, and let that atone for the gold of the Egel. So, why are we going back to this idea of the chait of selling Yosef? So, he says the following Let's take a look at chait Egel. How was it that that could happen? That's really a question everybody asks. I mean, if we just go back to our previous episodes, Am Yisrael came out of Mitzrayim, went through all those miracles. They stood at Har Sinai, they experienced Nevuah. Every single Jew experienced Nevuah together with Moshe Rabbeinu. They said Nasev and Nishma. They did all those things, and in a matter of days, right, 
let's, let's make an egel. Right? We need some type of power to follow. How, how could they do that? How could it happen? There are a variety of different answers to that question, but it's, it's the obvious question to ask. Aside from the Kutzker's famous answer, which is always important to remember, he said in Yiddish, a mensch is a manuta malach, a manuta galach. That means that's a human being. You can be one minute you're an angel, the next minute you're like a priest for idolatry. Right? We, are, we fluctuate. Therefore, you can never assume the status quo. So he says, how did God let that happen? Meaning, you would think that it, when they're in such a state of Kedusha and holiness and dedication at Matan Torah, how could the Yetzirah slip in? How could he have any influence? And we see that Am Yisrael were nirtzim ma'od l'Hashem Yisbarach. Hashem loved them at that point. He received them. He gave them the Torah. We were doing good. So he says the following. We all hear the talks before Shavuos about Matan Torah having a condition. Vayichan shom Yisrael neged ahar. Am Yisrael camped singular. Vayichan, not vayachanu, in front of Har Sinai. Ki ishechod like one person with one heart. And this is spoken about in all the Sfarim as a precondition for Matan Torah. Here the Shem Shmuel puts teeth into it. Why? It's nice, right? It's good that everybody's getting along, right? And that, that everybody's together. Why is it so important? He says the following. The world is a world of mixtures and intermingling. Since the time of Chet Adam Harishon, since the time of eating from the tree that was called the tree of Da'as Tovara. Da'as means connecting, knowing, intermingling. Okay, just like Vayeda Adam is Chava Ishto. It's an idea of connecting. So now suddenly in the world, Tov and Ra would be mixed up and intermingled to the extent that you can't really identify inside of yourself when you hear your inner voice saying something, you can't really know if it's good or if it's not or if it's a combination of the two because that's what's happening in our world. So once you have that mixture in everything that you do, even while doing a mitzvah, even while receiving the Torah, so negativity can infiltrate. Negative forces can be there and can corrupt. How can you create a safe zone in this world in which Tov and Ra are always there together? He says, the Eitzah for this is Achdus Yisrael. If Am Yisrael are unified, that creates that safe zone. How? He says, because it's, imagine people creating a wall of people. People standing around in a circle, one next to each other, shoulder to shoulder. You can create this circle so that nobody else comes in. Right? That's done oftentimes. When you want to protect some VIP or something like that, you surround them with a circle. Nobody else can come in. So he says, but if there's a crack, even one crack, so then something can infiltrate. With this, he explains, first of all, he says, this is what's meant in Shir Hashirim, where in the voice of the beloved who represents the Jewish people, says, Ani Choma, I am a wall. Right? How are B'nai Israel a wall? B'nai Israel are a wall if we're connected. 
if we're connected, so then we're able to protect that which needs to be protected from evil influences. Okay, and here he explains a beautiful halacha. Right, again, the Shemesh Mo was a tremendous Rosh Hashiva, a tremendous Gon. His Talmidim, like the Chelkas Yoav, the Kozhiklover of others, were some of the greatest proskim in Europe. There's a law with a keli, with a vessel, that if a vessel is functional, so then it can be makabel tuma. Okay, it can receive tuma, and all these laws of tuma and tahara that we have. A vessel is something that if it comes into contact with the right type of tuma, it itself becomes tome. But if the vessel is damaged so that it's no longer a vessel, then it can't receive tuma. So a kli that's miyuchad temashke, if you had a vessel that's meant to hold liquid, to which extent does it have to be damaged that it no longer can become tome? It's a shear which is called Kones mashke, that liquid can get into it. Meaning, if you would submerge it in some type of liquid, the outside liquid would be able to get into this keli through a crack. And bless the Shemesh Mool that he says, he says, for years I didn't understand this. He said, why should it be? He says, I never understood this. If we were examining a kli, a bottle, a cup, something like that, and we wanted to determine if it's good, the question is, does it leak? Does the liquid come out? Because you're going to get it all over yourself, right? And it's eventually going to leak out. He said, why didn't Chazal use that as the measure for what damages a vessel to hold liquid as opposed to something coming in? He says, because you've got to realize, even if a vessel is dripping, what's left inside is still pure. What's left inside is what it is. If you have the world's fanciest Cabernet Sauvignon, something or other in there, and it's leaking a bit, it's leaking, but you still got great wine inside. But if it's cracked to the extent that other liquids can come in, and it's sitting in a thing of, you know, cheap uh, Manischewitz wine or something like that, your Cabernet Sauvignon's a goner, right? That's what it is. So he says that's exactly the same thing. If you imagine Am Yisrael as a kli, Am Yisrael as a vessel, right? And what are we a vessel for? To receive the Torah, to receive the Shekhinah. To be a functional vessel, we have to be so connected that nothing can come in from the outside. Okay, that is what we were supposed to look for. And he says, this doesn't mean that everybody is identical. Okay, this is a big problem people have. Sometimes the only way we can think of people being unified is if they're all the same. If they are all exactly the same, if they all do the same thing, say the same thing, feel the same thing, then there's unity. That's not the way Am Yisrael is set up. He says we have 12 shvatim, we have 12 tribes that parallel what's called the Yudbez Gvule Alachson. Right? Every time I say I'm not going to embarrass myself with my lack of geometry, right? it's like if you have a three-dimensional cube, how does it work? And then you come out with these 12 lines that make up the cube somehow. Okay? Something like that. Anyway, this creates the entire protected force field around Am Yisrael. The 12 shvatim, these 12 boundaries, these 12 lines, they protect us in all ways. 
But when Yosef was sold, the chet of Mechiras Yosef, and this is in, if you imagine the time of the Shvatim as the time of an embryo developing in the womb. That was the embryonic state of the Jewish people. Okay, pregnant women have to be more careful than other people of what they eat, of what they drink, of different things like that, because something that wouldn't hurt a developed child can affect the developing process of the embryo to an extent that that will affect the child for the rest of its life. So too here, the selling of Yosef, he said, that did something in the embryonic state of the Jewish people that split us. And that was how the Golas started. That was how we ended up in Egypt. Okay, that break led to it. The Chavetz Chaim, in the beginning of Shmir Saloshon, he points out that the trigger for going down to Egypt was Lashon Hara. Right? It says, Yosef spoke about his brothers to his father. And he said, and even though there are many explanations in the Mepharshim as to what his kavana was and he had good intentions, etc., he says, we see none of that helped and Golas developed. So this is the key. This is what cracks it apart. So he says, He says, by the time that it came to give the Torah, he had to have a unified people. Otherwise, it would become contaminated. Rabbi Dr. A.J. Tversky said a very cute thing. He said when he went to medical school, so a lot of people had a very hard time when they had to start working in the hospital keeping everything sterile. Right? Meaning, when you wash your hands, you know, you have to make sure they don't touch this, they don't touch that, this thing doesn't touch that. If this thing became contaminated, set away. He says, but in our house, back in Milwaukee, he said, we used to prepare things for Pesach in the middle of the winter. There were certain things, like I think he said the goose schmaltz or something. They would do that in the winter, so they would set up a Pesach zone in the house, and they would be preparing certain things there, even though the house is chametzik, this is Pesach dik. He said he had absolutely no problem in the hospital after undergoing his mother's, you know, sterile zone for Pesach. He said he was, he, he was totally with it. Okay, so, so therefore, we needed a sterile zone for the Torah to be given. And that was ki'isha chod b'levechod. How can it be? So the Shemi Shmuel says the only way you can have that unity is she'ekulam mitkavnim achas. Is everyone is focused on one goal on one purpose. Again, not that everyone is the same, not that everyone does the same, but everyone is trying to reach the same goal. So that at the moment that a person is thinking about, listen to this powerful line, if each one is thinking about their own good, even if they want closeness to Hashem, people want spiritual greatness. I want to be holy, I want to be close to God, I want to be elevated. But those sentences all started with I. He says, then, You cannot have unity in terms of that. Because each person's thinking about himself. So the Jewish people had to be fighting a flaw that they had in their DNA. That flaw in the DNA was the selling of Yosef. And they overcame it at the time that the Torah was given. When did they lose it? He says, in the middle of Aseris Adibros, 
If you remember, it said there that Hashem was speaking to them, and suddenly they said to Moshe Rabbeinu, Dabera to'imonu. We've had enough of the prophecy. He says, please, you tell us the rest. If we continue to have this experience of Hashem speaking to us directly, we will die. He says, that's a sign that people are thinking about themselves. He says a very extreme thing. He says, if a person is really devoted to the cause, he says, okay, if we're supposed to die, we're supposed to die. I mean, but this is what we're supposed to do. That moment when people start thinking about themselves, they went down from their madrega, and then the power of Mechiras Yosef came again. And then infection set in. The infection that set in evidenced itself in Cheta Ega. Okay, now, the Jewish people were then separated. They were looking for something. And this was this expression of Mechiras Yosef, and that's why it says in Masechet Avodah Ivu lahem elohos harbe. Right? They wanted many gods. Meaning it wasn't a one unified thing. There are different people had different desires for what they wanted in this construction that would lead them when they felt that Moshe wasn't there. Now, he addresses another question that always bothers us. What was Arna Cohen doing? What was he doing when he said, bring gold, and he put the gold in the fire, and the way it describes, Moshe Rabbeinu interviewed him when he came down. Right? He said, What did they do to you? That you brought this sin upon them. Now Aaron said, Please don't get angry. He said, They told me, Make us gods, right? Plural, something that will go before us. Yelchu. So I told them, the Mizahav, who has gold? Take it off, and they gave it to me. And I put it in the fire. And golly, so to speak, this calf came out. So Rashi says, what does he mean? I didn't know that this was going to happen. He says, what, how does this explanation of Aaron work? or make sense. You ask them for gold. You put the gold in the fire. What was supposed to happen? What was supposed to come out? Obviously, you didn't want an ego. What did you want? What was supposed to happen there? So he said Aaron was trying to treat the root of the disease. Okay, the Jewish people had fallen apart. They had lost this concept of achtus, which was so key for that. So he said, in order to treat the right, the cause, he had to unify the Jewish people together. Let's all get together. Let's all take gold. And gold has an interesting property that when you heat it, it melts and joins together into one thing. Let's join all of our gold into one. Meaning he wanted them to do a physical action that would mimic the spiritual healing that they had to do. We have to do this. We have to get it together. And then... They would be back in their protected sterile zone, and that which had infiltrated would leave. He says, unfortunately, the Zohar Kodesh explains why, that there were people from the Erev Rav with negative spiritual powers who influenced it and slipped something past Aaron, and that's how it was. So now we come to our Parsha here. The Mishkan is being dedicated. 
Yavo zahav ha-mishkon v'yichaper al-zahav ha-egel. Let the gold of the mishkon atone for the gold of the egel. Because here once again, he said there were no plaques in the mishkon, right? This mizbeach was donated by the Goldstein family of Miami Beach, right, in memory of so-and-so. You didn't have those. I'm not making fun of those. They're wonderful things. If anybody would like more plaques up here in the shuls, please speak to Alex. You can definitely get a lovely plaque up here for a good cause. Okay, but in the Mishkan, there was none of that. You could not identify any of the materials that were there, who it belonged to, where everyone had to give, and that was part of it. It had to be Nadava entirely for everyone. Ohel Moed, which we describe as the tent of meeting, just doesn't mean meeting, it means getting together. The Achdus of Am Yisrael. And then, when they're together in that way, they also join together heaven and earth. They join together that huge split which is there that comes from the very creation. The Mishkan, the Beis HaMikdash were the place where the world beyond this world and this world meet. That's what they were supposed to be doing and to be doing it with this Achtos. That's why it had to be preceded by a Sa'ir Chatos, the Chaper al-Mechiras Yosef. You have to go back to that. You have to go back to the root, to what causes that weakness in our DNA. To be aware of it and to work on it every time that we're trying to have this achtus and to do something in this way. This explains also why, let's look at it in two ways. I know in our mind the voice says, yeah, well that's really going to happen, right? All Jewish people are all going to be united Right? Isn't Mashiach supposed to come and do that for us because there's no way we're capable of doing it for ourselves? Okay? It's not impossible. But like so many things, we have to realize that it's not all or nothing. Meaning everything we can do to draw together, right? to draw one Jew closer to another Jew, to close up gaps, helps and protects and does. We can see this from the destruction. People get very confused sometimes when they learn the Gemaras in Maseches Gitin on Tishabov about the stories that led to the destruction of the Beis Hamikdash. The stories, that, on one hand, they tell us the second Beis Hamikdash was destroyed because of Sinas Chinam. And when you look in Chazal, you see that this was widespread and uh, there was lots of bad things happening. But the Gemara gives particular examples. The most famous of those is the story of Kamtsa and Bar Kamtsa. But there it at least leads the storyline as to how, right, Bar Kamsa actually went and told the Romans, well, it told the Romans that the Jews had rebelled, and we can see that leading to destruction. But there's another story toward the end of the Gemara about a man who had an apprentice. And this apprentice decided that he liked the man's wife. What he started to do was to tell the man Lashon Hara about his wife. He started putting her down, pointing out her negative sides, suggesting all sorts of things about her, till eventually it worked. And the man told him, he says, I, I see you're right, I've got to divorce her, but what can I do? The ksuva, the obligation that I saw them when we got married, that's a, that's a chunk of change, I, I don't have it. So the apprentice said, you know what boss, I actually have some savings, I'll lend it to you. I'll lend it to you. So he divorced his wife, and the apprentice went and married her. And then he came to his boss, former boss, he said, um, you owe me money. He says, you know that I don't have that money. He says, well, you know what, that's okay, because me and my new wife need a servant. 
so you can work it off working for us. And it said that one day he was pouring them a cup of wine and a tear fell into the cup of wine. And at that moment, the fate of the destruction of the Beis HaMikdush was sealed. So on one hand, it's a very powerful emotional story. On the other hand, we're saying, okay, there's a whole nation of people. This one guy did one nasty thing, one cruel thing. It's true. That brings the destruction. The idea is, yes, every crack can be that one that gets infiltrated. So therefore, every crack that we seal up is also something very powerful and very important. What we have to realize is that at least we're not alone in this battle. The idea of the tzaddikim that Am Yisrael have, and this brings us to the yard side of Melech of Lijens, because some people have given his sefer, the Noam Melech, the nickname Sifran Shel Tzaddikim, because it gives a lot of explanation of tzaddikim, why they're here, how they work, what their challenges are, what they should be doing. And he explains that they have the power to unite Am Yisrael. First of all, he says, shalatzadik. He says, what is the true desire? These words, taiva and chuka, are the most powerful types of desire, sometimes translate almost as lust, of a tzadik. That every single Jew and all the Jewish people should be filled with good, satisfied with good. And Hashem put this into their heart so that they would daven to Hashem because they want this so badly. He says that a tzaddik is commanded and every Jew always worry about the tzaddik of Am Yisrael. Daven for them, for their good, that Hashem should give them all good and keep away all negative decrees. Meaning that we have the ability to connect to and to reach everyone, even those beyond us. And the tzaddikim come, and this is what happened in this parsha. Just after these carbonos were finished, it says, Aaron came out, and Aaron lifted up his hands, El Ha'am, to the people. And here he gave them Birkas Kohanim. But it describes it, it says, He went down from the Avodah that he did in the Beis Amikdash, and then he gave them this bracha, meaning, a tzaddik goes down from his lofty level sometime. And the purpose of that time is in order to connect with the Jewish people, in order to see what they need, and in order to give them bracha. The Nesiva Shalom, in describing this bracha, says the following. He says, He says that Aaron lifted up his hands because that's his midah of love. This is a new understanding in Birkas Kohanim. Okay, first of all, let's get into this idea of love in Birkas Kohanim. Birkas Kohanim is a very strange mitzvah, the Svasemis points out, because it's described in the Torah. It says, This is the way you should give the bracha to Bnei Yisrael. But you didn't tell them yet to give the bracha. You're telling them how to do it. Why aren't you telling them, Thou shalt bless B'nai Yisrael? The Svasemes says, Because ground zero for a coin is the desire to bless Am Yisrael. 
That should be what's implanted in them from Aaron HaKoyim. If you don't have that, you really got to step aside. Right? There's real problems. They say that if you hate somebody in the shul, a coin really should not get up and give Berkas Karni if you have that. The Zara Kodesh says if somebody hates anyone in Amisro, really, you might be disqualified. It's scary. Okay, so he says what the coin does in Birkas Kohanim, and the Bracha finishes with that word, Ba'ahavo, is not just that I'm doing this out of love, but I am transmitting love to Bnei Yisrael. And that they should be together, and then they will be that kli, they'll be that vessel that can receive the bracha min hashamayim. This is what has to be done, and that's what's happening here. It mimics the creation of the Mishkan. The creation of the Mishkan, which was created out of the unity of Bnei Yisrael, allowed them to receive the Shekhinah, allowed them to have the place for the Aaron Kodesh and the Torah to be among them. Aaron completed that process with Birkas Kahani. To this very day, that bracha which is given is done to create Ahava between Jews and enable them to be able to receive it. So with this, we want to talk a little bit about Rav Chaim Kanievsky Zetzal, who passed away this past week. And many people spoke about the tremendous unity that was displayed among all sorts of Jews. And again, I hope people know enough to um, ignore ignorant media reports about these things. The people who know and see saw that Jews of all different types connected to Reb Chaim. There was a beautiful article by a professor who was not Torah observant. He actually described himself as fourth generation secular. Right? My friend Rabbi Shoshad always says when he's out talking like to people in university campuses, so he said, well, no, my, my family, you know, we've, we've always been, he says, how long, far back was your family not Torah observant? Right? Four generations is already a big yichus in that, versus the thousands of years that they were Torah observant. Okay, you got to kind of look at that in proportion. And he said, he went, he's a professor of law in Kiradona University, he went to Chaim Kinevsky's house as an investigator. He felt he wanted to see, you know, what bad stuff's going on there. He thought he's going to come to the headquarters of this kingpin, who they call Reb Chaim Kinevsky. Right, it's going to be like, imagine like what a mafia godfather lived in, some big castle surrounded by you know, guys with big muscles in suits or something, and see how they bilk money out of people right, in return for blessings. He came to Bnei Brak, and he found the street, Rehov Rashbam, if anybody's been there. It is not the most um, physically you know, gorgeous of streets. He asked somebody, where's the house of Rabbi Kanievsky, right? Is um, physically, was a bit of a dump, you know, a little old two-story building on the street there. And he went to get online. Now on the line, he saw all sorts of people, all sorts of people from every community in Israel, from every walk of life. What they had in common, as you could see, they were in pain, that they had need. My wife takes taxis sometimes with a certain taxi driver, and she took one uh, this week, and he said he was in a bad mood. She said, what's wrong? He said, Rabbi Kanievsky, not someone who wears a keeper or anything. She says, you went to him? He says, yeah, I was there twice. Right? This is all these people. So he got online, and the people arranging things, he said what he, he thought would be the members of the court were just members of the family and others who were volunteering to help keep the line moving and get into the Rav. 
So he decided to test it out. He said, how much does it cost? They said, no, no, it doesn't cost. The Rav doesn't take money. He said, no, nah, I want to give. I want to give. They said, if you want to give, so there's a tzedakah box downstairs from what's called Kupata Ir. Right? That's the big tzedakah organization in Bnei Brak. So he started to think, okay, so that must be how it works. This must be the front. And everybody puts money in the Xbox, and then they scoop it up. But he knew how to investigate these things. And it was a totally legit organization, which all the money gives to the, goes to the poor. And he said he went in, walking through a bedroom. He said he worked for like the public legal system for a while, where he had to go to the homes of indigent people who were assigned legal help from the state. He said, I never saw anything like this apartment in those places that I went to. There's a famous concept in Israel called mitot sochnut, right? The sochnut, the Jewish agency, when somebody would make aliyah or when they started a new settlement or a town, they gave these beds, some yeshivas still have them, right? Which was basically a little metal frame with a piece of plywood on it and a thin mattress on top, right? That was the classic, right? That, that's the classic thing. And <clears throat> that's what he had from when he got those in the 1950s. Okay, and um, the other furniture, again, people who have been there know it's a two-room apartment. He has his learning room and his bedroom. And you're marching through his bedroom and you're going through this learning room. And he said, what I saw is that everybody coming out was lit up with hope, with a sense that they'd been cared for, that they were loved, that the future wasn't as bleak. And he said, I was impressed by two things. Number one, he said, that there's a society that for a million of people, more, because it's all around the world, someone that they idolize and look up to is a person who has no big position, not much money, a really crummy house, right? And what he does is study Torah and help people. He said, I have to admit that coming from our society, I have something to be jealous. When I think of our celebrities and the emptiness and the hero worship of someone who has momentary power or looks or a talent or something, he says, I'm jealous. And he said the other thing that hit him right, was the idea that when Reb Chaim was in the world, so many people felt they had someplace to go. So many people in the world, they're in really tough situations. There's nobody really to talk to. There's nobody to go to sometime. And here they could go and somebody would help them feel better for no charge. And anybody could go. He said, in our society, often only the people who can afford fancy therapies can get things like this. So what was happening? How was it happening? Reb Chaim, again, did not speak to people very much. Time was very precious to him. But their very understanding that time was precious to him and he was giving them of their time every day, hundreds upon hundreds of people, aside from answering letters from anyone who wrote to him, even little kids. And this was something that helped people feel this and understand it. And when something is that pure, so Am Yisrael in all its different levels and shapes and forms and colors have that connection. There's a, there's a beautiful Sefer, it's an interesting Sefer, uh, the Sefer that describes the Magid and the Beis Yosef. The Beis Yosef of Yosef Karo had a malach, an angel that would appear to him and reveal things to him. 
And he explained to him, he said, do you know how the bracha of tzaddikim works? How is it that a tzaddik is able to give a bracha? He said, because the tzaddik is connected constantly to Klal Yisrael and constantly to the Torah. And these are the beginning points of the world. Bereshit, Chazal said, Bishvil Yisrael Shinikru Reshit, Bishvil Atarah Shinikru Yisraelis. And because they're connected to that beginning point of all things, they're able to draw bracha from there to that which they're connected to. So that's what was happening there. That's what was there. That's what was connected. And uh, as we see here with Arana Koin also, that helps spread unity among other people as well when a person does this with Ava. I saw in one Sefer that someone asked him, why do you do this? Um, why, do you, why are you giving brachas to all these people? He said, oh Hashem, Hashem gave me the mitzvah of being able to, he said in Hebrew, at Israel, to comfort them, right? He wasn't saying, because my brachas go wham-bang and they give everybody what they want. But the fact that I give a bracha to a person lets a person in distress feel comforted. I'm not alone, gave to me. When he said mitzvah, I started to think, I wonder what mitzvah. You could say the general umbrella of the mitzvah of chesed. But then I remembered a famous pasuk. It says, Ko amar Hashem ba-midbar so the Malbim explains there that's talking about Am Yisrael at the end of Golas. Sridei Charev, survivors of the sword of all of the persecutions and suffering they went through. And when the end of days comes, Hashem will come to them to comfort them. The Malbim says, Menucha refers more to resting that's connected even to the physical. Margoa, to be ragua, lahargia means to comfort a person inside, emotionally spiritually. We're supposed to walk in the path of Hashem. Perhaps that was what he meant when he said that he had that mitzvah of comforting Am Yisrael. We're not him, we're not going to be like with him, but everybody can do. Everybody can try to comfort that person next to you. And when the person feels comforted, the person feels connected. And when the person feels connected, then we've closed up gaps in Am Yisrael. And we've kept out that which is toxic. And we nurture that which is good among us. And with that, hopefully, we'll be zochet to the Beis Amigdash Ashlishi. Everyone have a wonderful Shabbos.